Well, this evening we want to uh, read uh, some verses uh, from, first of all, from Genesis uh, chapter 1. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1. And then from John chapter 1. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was morning, and there was evening uh, the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and he gathered waters. He called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees in the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. And fill the water in the seas. And let the birds increase in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals. Each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds. The livestock according to their kinds. And all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, 
Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move in the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because in it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And then we turn in the New Testament to John chapter 1 to read simply the opening uh, verses, uh, page 1063. <clears throat> Page 1063. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then we turn finally to Hebrews chapter 1, uh, which is page uh, 1201 in the Church Bible. Page 1201. <clears throat> Page uh, 1201, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation or image of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Amen.
Now, two months ago, I began a series of messages on getting to grips uh, with uh, the Bible. Uh, And my objective in this series, uh, which is going to end up about 12 messages or um, 11 more after tonight, in this series, my objective is really threefold. First of all, uh, that you will understand the flow of the Bible story, of God's story, of Bible history. That then, secondly, you will understand how each book of the Bible and where it fits in uh, and belongs to uh, that era. Uh, Thirdly, I want you to be able to understand what each book of the Bible is about. Uh, And then, fourthly, to see how each book of the Bible uh, in the Old Testament anticipates Jesus and in the New Testament reveals Jesus as having come. Now, two months ago we saw that the Bible is a book of 66 books written by approximately 40 authors starting with Moses and he lived Um, around 1449 BC uh, and then uh, the ending with John uh, who was writing around uh, the late 90s AD. So it spans a period, it was written over a period of 1500 years by 40 different authors, 66 different books. So how are we to get to grips with material that covers that sort of span of time that crosses different cultures. Uh, There is uh, ancient Eastern culture, uh, such as in Egypt uh, and in Canaan. And then you come through to Persian culture, Babylonian culture, Greek culture, Roman culture. How are we to get to grips with all that material in a way that uh, is at our fingertips? Well, one way is to uh, break the history of the Bible and the story of the Bible down into ages or eras. We do that with the history of our nation, and we don't have any problem with it. For example, we talk about the Elizabethan era, and we're thinking back to the uh, uh, second half of the 1500s, when Elizabeth I reigned, uh, and We'll talk about Elizabethan dress uh, and literature and furniture. um, Things that come from that period or to come a little bit closer. Um, We probably hear more talk about the Victorian age. The age of Queen Victoria and Charles Dickens and his novels. And of course that period, 1837 through to 1901. And there's a Georgian era and the Edwardian era era, uh, or age and right the way through to our modern day. And so to help us to get to grips uh, with the Bible, I want us to break down the story of the Bible into 12 eras. Now this is where your handout is important uh, and you need to turn to it now. And if you haven't got one, please uh, raise your hand in the air because Ronnie has uh, extras. We're looking, first of all, at the side that has got the asterisks 
in the top right hand corner, the highlighter asterisk. That's the side we're looking at first. And here now I seek to set out the twelve eras in which we're going to um, look at um, the uh, story of uh, the Bible. There are eight uh, eras uh, in the Old Testament uh, and uh, I want us to see that all eight are looking unto Jesus. That's why we've got that heading, getting to grips of the Bible, the Old Testament, looking unto Jesus. Uh, and then what I've done is, uh, alongside the era, I've tried to give a date where that is possible. I've tried to identify the main location where things uh, play out in that era. Who were the key figures in that era? And then the next three columns, history, poetry, prophecy. And he had 17 books of history, five books of poetry, and 17 books of prophecy. You'll get the 39 books of the Old Testament. And so as we go through these eras, we're going to see which book or books of the Old Testament tie in with a given era. For example, tonight we're going to be looking at the era of beginnings. And in the column of history, when you turn over to the other side, you will find the book of Genesis. Because that is the main source uh, of our information. You will also notice in the column of poetry on the other side, that about two-thirds of the way down, there's the book of Job. And that's because most Bible scholars believe that Job lived around the time of Abraham. And Job is, falls into that genre or that type of scripture that's not, yes, there's history there, but it's predominantly written in a more poetic form, a more verse form than in narrative. So, uh, there already tonight, uh, we're going to touch on two of the 39 books that make up the Old Testament. In the final column then, we always want to see how in each era, and in the books that tie into that era, they are pointing us forward to Jesus. And they are anticipating the coming of Jesus in the flesh in order to be the saviour uh, of uh, the world and of the people that God has given uh, to him in and from the world. Now, here's the challenge for me, and it is a mighty challenge, um, which is to cover each era in one sermon. So, that's why I've done a handout, and I want you now to flick to the other side of your sheet, which brings us uh, to tonight and the era of uh, beginnings. I'm already ahead of time. I thought this was going to take me ten minutes, and I've done it in seven, so hopefully that'll um, be in our favour as we get further along. So, the era of beginnings. Why that name? Why do we call it the era of beginnings? Well, our study tonight is confined uh, primarily to Genesis. And that is the first book of the Bible. And Genesis is a word from the Greek language and it means beginning. It means beginning. So this book tells us about the beginning of things. 
and you will see how down the left hand side of your page I have put uh, the beginning of six different um, things uh, that we find in Genesis. The beginning of the cosmos and creation, the beginning of man and marriage, the beginning of sin and salvation, the beginning of grace and judgment, the beginning of nations and languages, the beginning of patriarchs and promise. And the great reality is that all of those things that began back then continue with us today. Now you'll notice that I do not have a date at this early stage. Because we do not have a date for either the beginning of the cosmos, of man and marriage, of sin and salvation, grace and judgment, of nations and languages. The first date we have is of patriarchs. And that's why on the other side you've got a couple of question marks there of beginnings because we don't know the first date. And then the first date that I've down, 2094, is the date of Abraham. Abraham. That is a date that is known and is well established and recognised and accepted. That Abraham, the date uh, for his life when he was called by God, was 2094 before the time of the coming of Christ. So, Let's think about uh, these uh, six themes then uh, this evening. Uh, as we see them in the book of Genesis. The beginning of the cosmos. The beginning of the universe. We read of that there and we read of it in Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That's the universe. And then the focus comes down to the earth. Uh, and uh, we are brought in now to the story of what God does then on the earth. Uh, and this uh, is a striking chapter because it is all about God. From the first verse in chapter 1 through to the last verse in, uh, in um, chapter 1 verse 31, it's about God. 35 times the name God occurs. This chapter is his story. And it's the story of how he formed the universe and how then he filled the universe. And particularly with reference to the earth. Verses 1 to 3, uh, he forms, sorry, days 1 to 3, he forms the earth. Days 4 to 6, he fills the earth. And as we read through that chapter, you'll have noticed again and again the phrase, and God said. How did God form the earth? How did God fill the earth? By merely speaking a word. Wouldn't it be wonderful if tomorrow morning you got up and you ladies, all you had to say was breakfast on the table. And there it would be. Clean clothes. No need to put them in the washing machine. No need to iron them afterwards. Tidy house. What a wonderful thing that would be. Well that is in effect what God did. We can't do it. But that is in effect what God did in creation. 
and he flings galaxies into being. Uh, he uh, forms divisions between day and night and between creatures on day six and he does it all um, by words and simple actions. There is no random process here. There is no struggle between two forces of good and evil and one, the good force, uh, slowly taking control. There's no chance collision of gases and substances to make this vast universe. There is one eternal, infinite, unchangeable God. And as we saw from our readings in the New Testament, it's hinted at here in Genesis 1, this God is one God, three persons. The Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the earth, we're told. And we read there in John chapter 1 and in Hebrews chapter 1 that the creative activity, each word and each action was carried out by the Son. All things were made through him. So Jesus is here in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2. We come now in the second place to the creation then of man and of marriage. Or the beginning, sorry, the beginning of man and marriage. And that is recorded here uh, in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 to 30. And then it's taken up again in Genesis chapter 2. And it's not a contradictory story. It's a complementary story. It brings in new details, new information. Uh, and it tells us about how God formed the man and the woman then was formed after the man, and out of the man, and for the man. And so the man and the woman were brought together then, and God carried out the first marriage. And you see, that's why it is such a wicked thing for our government to do what it is planning and proposing to do today. And in the next parliament, or in the next year. To change marriage and the definition of marriage. So that two men can become married. So that two women can become married. That goes against what happened and what God did and established in the beginning. He constituted that it's a man and a woman who are to marry. And not only is that biblical revelation, it is also natural revelation. God made the human body, male and female, that they become one when they're brought together. And you can't do that with two men. And you can't do that with two women. And if you try to do it, you have a wicked, wicked perversion. And so we have the beginning of man, male and female. And by man I mean male and female there. Beginning of humans, if you want to put it like that. And the beginning of marriage. And notice how the man, male and female, stands at the very apex of God's creation. 
He's made in God's image. That doesn't mean we have a physical likeness to God. Because God does not have a body. But it means that we have some of God's characteristics. We have an intellect. We have emotions. We have a will. We have a sense of right and wrong. And all of those things are characteristics of God that is placed not on your dog or your cat or the fly or the cow in the field or the sun in the sky, but only in you and me. We are his image bearers. And we have a unique position within creation. And perfect man is placed in a perfect environment. In a garden that is specially prepared for him. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 and following. And he's got a task. And he's got a task uh, which is uh, to um, look after uh, this, um, this um, planet for God. And God uh, gives him a command as we'll see in a moment. And so man here... Male and female, created for each other, created in the image of God, they have that relationship of love and perfect community, one with the other in Eden, and with God in Eden. And you see, that itself reflects what happens in the community of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's love and harmony and peace. So Adam and Eve are brought into this relationship with God. They're created in this relationship with God. And they're created in the beauty and the richness and the fullness of this relationship with each other. And the Lord Jesus, when he was on this earth... He affirmed this when he talked in Mark chapter 10 about how God made man in the beginning and he made the man for the woman and for marriage and so we have the beginning of man or the beginning of humanity and the beginning of marriage. And if a man and woman wants to live together today it is within marriage that they're to do that. And it's only a man and a woman that should be united together in a marriage. Not a man and a man. Not a woman and a woman. But a man and a woman. And indeed marriage is for all. The idea of living together outside of marriage. That is contrary to what God ordained. And again it is a twisting. And a perversion. Not as bad as homosexuality and lesbianism. But it is nonetheless a perversion of what God intended. So, let's come then in uh, the third place uh, to see how um, we are. We have here the beginning of sin and salvation. The beginning of sin and salvation. In Eden, Adam is God's prophet. And Adam 
is God's priest. And Adam uh, and Eve with him, uh, both of them together, they are God's king. Now let's think about that for a moment. What does a prophet do? Well, a prophet speaks in the name of God. And isn't that what Adam does when he names the animals that God brings to him? Or that come to him? And you see, he's acting as a prophet in Eden. He's acting as a priest in Eden. Because what does a priest do? A priest offers worship. And Adam is to worship God continually. He's created in a relationship. He and Eve are created in a relationship of worship. And then the idea of king. That man is king. What does a king do? A king rules. And what did God say to Adam and Eve to do? Well they were to rule over the earth. They were to subdue it. And so they were to act as kings. And you see again. When we unpack the word of God. We find that all of this is the role of Christ. And in a sense, Adam, this Adam, anticipates the Christ. Because the Christ is God's prophet. He's God's priest. He is God's king. Uh, and uh, he will have to come to this earth as a prophet and a priest and a king. Because the first Adam now is going to make a mess of things. The first Adam is created and able to be all that God wants him to be. But he's going to turn his back on it. He has freedom and he has the power to will and to do what is good and well-pleasing to God. Yet he can fall from it. Adam and Eve are not robots forced against their will to live in a certain way. God creates them to live in a certain way but they have to decide and determine and choose day after day. We are going to live in this way. We are going to be the prophet of God. We're going to be the priests of God. We're going to be kings for God. <coughs> But we discover in Genesis chapter 3 that they fall from that because of the activity of Satan who is an angel that has rebelled in heaven against God and been cast to the earth and he now comes and he seeks to get a foothold in the apex of God's creation. And if he can destroy the apex. He can destroy the whole building. The whole building. And so he comes and he approaches. Adam and Eve. And uh, we find that they listen to him. Uh, and they, they fall from their relationship with God. And there's, they fall from their role under God. Now man today is still a prophet. 
man today is still a priest. And man today is still a king. That's not changed. What has changed is how man does that. And man no longer does that with reference to God, but he does it with reference to self. And so, as a prophet, man now declares and promotes himself and preaches himself. As a priest, fallen man worships himself. As a king, fallen man rules without reference to God. As if he is answerable to no one. This is my body. I can do with it what I want. Who are you to tell me? Who is God to tell me anything else? And so we have sin. And then wonderfully however. We have salvation. Because here in the Garden of Eden, when all of this is messed up by the first Adam, who comes into the Garden? Who walks in the Garden in the cool of the day? But the second Adam, Jesus, the Son of God, comes into the Garden in the cool of the day. And he seeks out Adam. And he's here in the human flesh. They can hear him walk. And they hide from his presence. And Christ has come. And there's going to be judgment that comes for this sin and rebellion. Still true today. There's still sin in our world today. There's sin in our lives today. And it brings judgment. But this Christ offers and provides salvation. For Adam and Eve. They are saved also in the Garden of Eden. Because here we read that at the very end, when uh, judgment uh, has been pronounced, what does um, what does the Lord God do? He made garments of skin for Adam and Eve. An animal was killed, and blood was shed. And their sin is being covered from God's sight so that they're not wiped out. And their nakedness, humanly, in their bodies is covered, which now causes them shame. And why is all that happening? Well, it's happening because this Christ who's now speaking to them, he is going to come in a future day. Verse 15. And in a future day, he will crush the head of the serpent. Now how and what precisely that means at that point is not revealed, but the Christ is going to come. There's going to be one born of the woman uh, and going to crush the head of the serpent. And no matter what the Satan does, he'll not be able to bring this one down, this second Adam. So do you see how Christ is there in the creation? And Christ is there when man falls into, a, into sin. Um, and so then we move on into the next section. Section 4. The beginning of grace and judgment. 
another major theme. And we come now to Noah. And what happens is, from Adam now and Eve, there is a believer in each generation that follows. Until we come down to the time of Noah. And so you have now two groups of people. You have those who are saved by the shedding of the blood, looking forward to the Christ. But you have also those who continue in the rebellion, who reject this salvation. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, you have a Noah who knows God in salvation. And you have the, his household with him. And then you have the rest of the earth. And we're told that it's marked by great wickedness. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. So you have grace in Noah's household. Salvation. Here are people who, they're not perfect. But their sins have been forgiven. And they're now living to some degree as God's prophet and priest and king. But you have this mass of people who have fallen and are still in their sins. And they are fulfilling those roles without any reference to God. And as they do that, as they preach themselves, as they worship themselves, as they live only by their own authority, what is the result? Great wickedness. And so in Genesis chapter 6 to 9, God brings judgment. And in that judgment, he preserves his believing family and he wipes the face of the earth of all the wickedness that is there in humanity. And he starts again. Grace and judgment. That's the beginning. Well today we're still living. And there's grace today. And there is judgment today. There are those today whom Christ is saving out of their sins. And there are those today who are still like the people in Noah's day. And they're pursuing a path of wickedness. And that wickedness is going to lead to a day of judgment. As surely as for those who believe, it will lead to a day of ultimate and final salvation. And this grace and this judgment is all tied up in the Christ. It's the Christ who saves now. And it's the Christ who judges in the flood back then. And it's the Christ who will judge at the coming again. Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. And Christ makes a reference back to the days of Noah. He says at the end of time it will be exactly the same. People will be getting on with life without any care, without any concern. And suddenly they will be swept into an eternity in hell. Let's notice then, fifthly this evening, how we have here the beginning of nations and languages. This era of beginnings. 
Why is it today that we have nations? Why is it today that there are different languages spoken throughout the earth? That is something that the evolutionist and the humanist cannot explain. But here, as Christians in Genesis chapter 11, and we're now beyond the day of Noah, and we're in the day of his, um, well, it's probably in the day of his, uh, which we'll see, I can't tell you the exact day, but it, it's in his generations after him. Uh, and what happens between the time of Noah and their day is that things improve for a while. You see, God had Noah and his family, the godly. But notice, if you read through 6 to 9, you see how quickly sin showed itself within that family. And so corruption begins again. And sin and wickedness begins to spread again. And we come now to Genesis chapter 11. And here now there's a new attempt by fallen man, who is a prophet and priest and king, without reference to God. And so he seeks to exert himself again by um, building this tower uh, of Babel. And they say, we are going to get to God by ourselves. And we are not going to spread across the earth as God told Noah and his descendants to do. We're going to stay together. We're going to work together. And we're going to make our way through life without God. Does that sound up to date? That's what we read in our newspapers today. That's what we hear in our televisions today. We will live and we will work as if there is no God and without God. And we will make our own way to a place of bliss after this life. And what does God do? Again, he's forced to act in judgment. And now he causes all this mass of people working together without him. He causes them to be broken up into different languages and different nations. And so here in Genesis chapter 11, we have the beginning of nations and the beginning of languages. And again, um, the Christ uh, is at the heart uh, of what is happening here. Uh, and he is anticipated in this. Because how is it that the nations are going to be brought together again? One language. One people. It's not going to happen through fallen Adam and his descendants. And how is peace and unity and, and reconciliation going to happen? It's not going to happen through fallen Adam. It's not going to happen through our modern world. It's going to happen through the Christ. And in the first coming, and now down through the ages until the second coming, what is he doing? Look at this group here tonight. We're from all kinds of different backgrounds. 
families were brought together and we speak I don't mean the one language English but we speak the language of the gospel the language of love towards God and love towards one another and it's happened in the Christ and it's going to happen in a greater way in the Christ so do you see again how the Christ is being anticipated in this and then finally this evening the beginning of the patriarchs and the promise and here's our first date 2094 the patriarchs patriarch means fathers fathers here's the fathers of the faith what God does now in Genesis chapter 12 is he, he moves into a new phase uh, of his work uh, and uh, of having a people. Because God is still, though Adam has sinned and fallen, we've seen how God is still going to have a people. And Noah and his descendants and now in uh, in Abraham, in Abraham, and then through Abraham, if you look at your sheet, uh, whom God called when he was in Ur, that's modern day Iraq, and he was a worshipper of the sun God, we're told elsewhere in scripture, and God revealed himself to this man, and Christ came and spoke to this man, and called him to himself. And so then, um, Abraham becomes the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph. And from these early fathers, God then begins to work in the families, and he begins to save a great multitude of his people. And the promise here, that's the patriarchs. And what is the, the key passage here is Genesis chapter 12, one through uh, to three where God says again and again Abraham I will bless you and Abraham as I bless you you shall be a blessing yes to your children and yes to your family for generations to come but Abraham you're also going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth because you see from Abraham is going to come Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to come down and he's going to be born into the family of Abraham 2,000 years later. And in his coming and his life and his death and resurrection, then uh, this salvation is going to explode into the nations of the earth. And that's what's happening today. We're still living in the age of the patriarchs and the promise because we are all connected back to Abraham if we believe tonight through Christ. Abraham is the father, our father in the faith uh, as we look to the Christ. And we're still looking to the Christ to be preached in all the nations of the earth to that great day when he will come in his glory and all his people will be with him uh, and they will be united in him and what will they be then? they will be his prophets 
and as priests and as kings forever and ever and ever and ever. So this is the era of beginnings. And all of these things are still working out today. We're living within the cosmos that has been created by Christ. We're male and female created in the likeness of God and the image of the Christ. The Christ took our body to himself when he came. We're living in the era of sin and salvation. Where sin abounds, there does salvation and grace much more abound today in Christ. They have grace. If you're not a Christian tonight, you need to come to the Christ and to trust in him for your salvation. We're living in the day of the nations and the languages. doesn't matter what man will do, that will still continue until the Christ comes. And the Christ is gathering his people as he gathered Abraham and Isaac and Jacob from the nations. Because his purpose is to bless and to have a people who will be his prophets, his priests and his kings. Who in the Christ, the last Adam, will accomplish and achieve everything that was lost by the first Adam in the Garden of Eden. What a wonderful thing it is to be in Christ Jesus. Amen.